grade inquirers. How excited are you sixth grade inquirers? Yeah, yeah there you go. That's exactly what I was uh, expecting. All right. Well, it is a good day. Amen? Amen. So our uh, scripture passage for this morning as we kind of continue our series look um, at scripture texts that go from the resurrection of Christ to Pentecost, which is coming up on June the 8th. Uh, Our scripture passage this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 25, verses 15 through 25. And so I invite you to hear now these words from John. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. The second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. And he said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, and he was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to the Lord, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the rumor spread in the community that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them, and we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you on this glorious Sunday morning. For yet one more reminder that you have been resurrected. One more reminder that you are alive and well in our midst. And so I pray, Lord, on this day, The words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So, for those of you who were here last Sunday, you will uh, probably realize that this uh, passage this week is just a continuation of the story that we talked about last Sunday. 
Last Sunday, we discussed the fact that the disciples didn't really know what they were going to do. And so uh, all of a sudden, uh, one of them, Peter, says, you know what, I'm going to go fishing. And before you know it, they all decided to go fishing. Or, or as we said last Sunday, they're going to go to Sonic to get a Coney dog. And so that's exactly what they did. And they, so they were out all night long. But they caught absolutely nothing. No fish, no sleep and no sightings of Jesus. In fact, the only thing somewhat interesting that happened the whole night was early the next morning when the, when the wisecrack who was on shore starts yelling out. And, and basically, if you're one of the fishermen thinking he's mocking us because he says, have you caught anything? And, and they said no. And so he, he gave him the great advice of casting the net on the other side of the boat because all the fish were, were over there clearly. And so, so the disciples decided to do it. And much to their surprise... All of a sudden, their nets were full of fish. And so then someone says in the boat, it's the Lord. And sure enough, the stranger was Jesus. And before you know it, Peter had already jumped overboard and was was swimming towards the Savior. And all of a sudden, all the rest of them finally got there. And sure enough, there's Jesus uh, around a charcoal fire. And he's cooking a breakfast of fish and bread for them. And, and so they came and they ate. And it's that, at that point where our passage begins this morning, at that point as they were kind of wiping off, cleaning off their hands and putting away the dishes and throwing the trash into the fire, that Jesus all of a sudden begins having this more intimate conversation with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And Peter says, of course, you know, of course I love you, Jesus. And so Jesus says, well, well then feed my lambs. And then a second time, Jesus says again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, of course I love you. And so Jesus says, okay, great. Well, then feed my sheep. And then a third time, As if he's almost questioning Peter, he says to Peter yet one more time, Peter, do you love me? Not surprisingly, Jesus, or excuse me, Peter's getting a little bit bothered by this, a bit hurt, a bit discouraged. Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. To which Jesus says yet one more time, then feed my sheep. This is really kind of a straightforward part of a conversation. It's clearly a sign that if you love Jesus, then that was going to convey itself in some sort of action, some sort of obedience. That if you truly are a disciple of Jesus, that that is going to call forth some kind of response to take care of God's children, to love others, to care for others. We don't just love Jesus and then go on with our lives. We love Jesus And then we respond by being a disciple and being obedient. Now that's a pretty simple and clear message. And it's a message that quite frankly, ZPCers, if you've been here for very long at all, you should be somewhat familiar with. And in fact, our sixth graders should be pretty familiar with this because it fits pretty well into the six marks of a disciple that ZPC has talked about for quite some time and that I know, having met our sixth graders over the last couple of weeks, that they know pretty well, right? Okay, 
So the six marks of a disciple. Uh Uh-huh. What are they? Okay. Knees of prayer. Okay, what's next? Arms of love. Okay, a voice to speak the good news. Uh Uh-huh. A mind transformed by the word. Can we get a girl in here? Oh, my goodness. You know. A heart for Christ alone. We got one more. Can anyone remember what the last one is? Yes. A spirit for stewardship and servanthood. Can, can I get an applause for this? That's, uh, that's impressive. I wasn't counting, so that is it, right? Is that it? Okay, good. Good. And so we know this, right? We, 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 we know the call. And so it'd be pretty easy then for us to kind of say, okay, this is, this is what it means for us to be a disciple. Now let's get these sixth graders up here and let's, let, let's, let's make them become members and then have them go out and just start feeding the sheep. Start doing all of these six steps that we have told them and that they have learned so well. Now we could do that. But there is something else that's going on in this short, intimate conversation that Peter is having with Jesus that is probably good for us to know. Perhaps many of us already realize this, but I think it's important to realize that, that what else is going on in this story, something that, that Peter would have known very well, all too well, but that perhaps we today oftentimes overlook. When I was in uh, fifth grade, so I was just one year younger than you guys, uh, I lived near Seattle, Washington, and it was, uh, it was a great time in my life, and we, uh, I had my favorite, I didn't realize he was going to be my favorite teacher ever, but he was, his name was Mr. Fine, and I loved Mr. Fine. I had him in fourth grade and fifth grade, and a part of the reason why I loved him is because we went on so many field trips, and, and, and the great thing about going to school is getting to leave school, right? And so, so we had 16 field trips one year and 17 the next year. I mean, it was, oh yeah, it was awesome. I didn't, I didn't learn a thing, but it was great. And he just had a way of kind of talking. I mean, he was just, he was great. And every, each year, we, we, he read through The Hobbit for us. And so we loved that. It was obviously well before the movie came out. And, um, and so, and, and he always was teaching us games. He was teaching us games. We learned chess. We learned lots of games. And, and every lunch period, we would always uh, play a different game as groups. And, and, and so on one particular day, we were playing, it was a Friday, we were playing uh, Stratego. Anyone ever played that? All right, well, it's a great game. And, and so we were playing. I was playing uh, my friend Josh Maynard. And, and not surprisingly, I was crushing him. And so, um, <laughs> and, and so uh, we, we played for a little while. And finally, he was clearly getting a little bit tired of the fact that I was giving him a, a good old whipping. And so he, he just threw the board up. And one of the pieces fell off and, and hit me right next to my eye. And as a, as a budding young man, you cannot allow an action like that to go unpunished. And so clearly I had been watching way too much wrestling because before you know it, I had him in this nasty headlock and I was just, this is, this is not what, this is not the point of the sermon. So no, but I was just, and I mean, I felt like I was getting some pretty good licks on him. I mean, I, you know, I was clearly a lot of Hulk Hogan was going on in this. And so it was just going and, 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 and I'm not really sure if this was actually happening or not, but I'm pretty sure that there were, all the kids were, were going around and like cheering me on. And it was, it was phenomenal until I felt a hand, a large hand 
that was around my arm. And then, and then there was a, a hand that was around Josh Maynard's arm. And before you know it, we were, we were headed down the hallway. And he was taking us to the principal, Richard Angus. And I had actually not gotten in a whole lot of trouble before this. And so I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was petrified. And so there he's dragging us basically down the hallway and we turn the corner and there was his office and the lights were off. Richard Angus had gone home for the day, the life of a principal. I was delighted, of course. But then Mr. Fine said, that's okay. We'll be back here on Monday. It was one of, seriously, one of the longest weekends of my life. The whole weekend, I was petrified. What, what's the principal going to do? You know, what's he going to say? What kind of trouble am I going to get in? What's he going to tell my parents? And, and then equally, really, because of this teacher I loved, is, is Mr. Fine going to continue to be so disappointed? Is he, is he going to still be angry with me when we get back on Monday? And so I don't think that Josh and I got together to kind of come up with a game plan, but we certainly had the same one when we returned on Monday, which was to make sure we did everything we could to ensure that Mr. Fine would not remember what we had done on Friday. And so we were, oh, we were good. I mean, Josh and I was like we'd been best friends our whole life. We were giving each other high fives. We were laughing at everything that we said. We were, uh, we were answering every question left and right. I was never speaking out of turn, which for me was remarkably difficult. But the most important thing, is that at lunchtime, there was one game that was not to be retrieved from the game cabinet. And what was that game? Stratego. Do not leave it deep in the bowels because if anything would remind Mr. Fine of what we had done wrong, it was going to be seeing that game. And the reason why I bring that story up this morning is because in so many ways, I feel like Peter was wrestling much like a fifth grader during this time, between the death of Jesus and his resurrection. Think about it. Peter, who right before Jesus was taken away from him, Jesus said to Peter, you are going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no way, I will never deny you. And the next thing we know is that he is around a charcoal fire. Remember that. He is around a charcoal fire and he denies Jesus not once, not twice, but how many times? Three times. And all of a sudden then, if you were the one who had been following Jesus all along and then you denied him in his time of greatest need, and all of a sudden you hear, wait, what? Jesus is raised from the dead? You might be excited, but what else might you be? Oh, real scared. And so perhaps that first time when he saw Jesus, there had to be lots of thinking, lots of thoughts in his head, but one of them surely had to be, whatever you do, Peter, don't remind him of what you did. And so Peter, I'm sure, was on his best behavior the first time and the second time. In fact, by the third time, when he was out on the, sh- when he was out on the boat, he had to be feeling pretty good about things. Hey, clearly, Jesus doesn't remember what I did. And so he's, he's overboard, and he's swimming in, and he's, he's coming up on the beach, and he's excited, and he smells breakfast, and then what does he see? There's only two times in all of the New Testament that we see this noun, 
a charcoal fire. There are two times when we see charcoal's fires, when he denies Jesus and when he comes up on shore and sees Jesus again. The charcoal fire is Peter's stratego. And when he comes up and he sees that, there had to be a fear in his mind, oh no, this is going to remind Jesus of what I've done. And if Peter's not worried about it, or if Peter's not worried enough, they have this great breakfast, everything's good, and all of a sudden, he asks him, do you love me? And anyone who's ever had a guilty complex, anyone ever, ever, ever been guilty or feel guilty about something? As soon as, Joe, I know you have. So as soon as, as soon as he says that, Peter has to be wondering, uh-oh, here it comes. And then if he's not worried enough, he asks him again, and he asks him how many times? And how many times did he deny him? This isn't rocket science. Most scholars point out that clearly what Peter is doing here, what Jesus is doing here, is telling Peter two things. One is, I remember. I know what you did. But two is, I still love you. I forgive you. Because you don't commission someone to carry on your work if you don't love them and forgive them and trust them. And one of the things that's important for you sixth graders and for all of us to know is that it is easy for us to start thinking, what can we do? How can we have arms of love? How can we have knees for prayer? All of these things, whether we're in sixth grade or whether it's been 60 years since we've been in sixth grade, it is easy for us to focus on that and to forget the fact that just like in this story, first and foremost, Jesus loves you. That before you can do anything for God, you need to know that you have been forgiven by God. And what we do for Jesus is not in order to get Jesus to love us, but is out of a response of the love that Jesus already has for us. And the second thing it seems to me that you need to know, sixth graders, is you need to know that Peter is your best friend. Because Peter keeps messing up. And there will be times when you mess things up. And what you need to know, what all of us need to remember, is that Peter is in here for all of us who keep messing things up. Because Peter, even though he continually messes things up, God keeps telling him, I love you. Jesus keeps forgiving him. And so what I want you to do, when I, was in, when I was your age, the thing I continually did, it seemed to me, and I struggle with this even to today, is that I said, well, you know what? I've, I've, not, I've not been real obedient. I'm going to wait to really do much for Jesus until I'm kind of on a good streak, right? And for some of us, that means an hour. For some of it, it means a month. But until I feel like I'm in a good place, then I'll start doing more things for Jesus. And what I want you to know is that your time for doing things for the Lord is already right now because you have already been loved and forgiven by God. And if there's one thing I want you to know, it is that your time to be a disciple because you are already loved and forgiven by God, it is not when you get to high school or college or when you become an adult. It is now. You have great opportunities to serve Jesus now. When I was in the fifth grade, that was not the first and only fight that I got in. I got in a lot of fights that fifth grade year. Probably more fights than I ever had gotten in and the rest of my life combined. And I didn't know this then, but I will tell you the reason why. 
Because that fifth grade year in December, my dad told me that my parents were going to be divorced. And I was incredibly confused and scared and lonely. I did not know why it was that this was happening. I had no clue. But what I knew was that I felt remarkably alone. And that next summer, right before I entered the grade that you are in right now, we moved 2,000 miles away. So my dad was far away. My friends were far away. My favorite teacher was far away. And I told you guys when I talked to you two weeks ago on that Sunday evening that there are kids, and you know them, and you might be them, who are in your classes or on your teams or in the plays that you're doing, or the choirs in which you're singing, who feel alone. And we as adults can do some things to help them, but I want you to know that you guys, you guys can be an incredible blessing to them. Each of you have an incredible opportunity to show them the love of Christ by simply paying attention to them, by inviting them to eat with you at some point, by just listening by having them be a part of your group. You guys have great opportunities for that. And I want you to know that being a disciple, answering these questions today is not about waiting until you're an adult to do it. It is is about doing it now. But I also want you to know something. I want you to look around at all these adults that are around you. Do you see them? They look pretty old. (laughs) I want you to know that they need you. Sometimes we in the church, we've done a pretty cruddy job. We've kind of siloed off our children, quite honestly, to certain parts of the church and to certain departments. We'll see you when you you graduate from college. But I want you to know they need you now. They need your energy. They need your imagination. They need your optimism. And they need you to remind them that they are loved by God. Because no matter how old you get, it's easy to forget. And there are three of you who are going to be baptized this morning. And so we've got this baptismal font up here. And one of the things that we say in our tradition is that when you are baptized, we, the rest of us who have already been baptized, are called to remember it. And so one of the things, as I was thinking about this service today, I said, I don't want this to just be like a graduation ceremony. I don't want just people to kind of, everyone, the kids to come up here and you guys say, oh, aren't they cute? And they answer the four questions and and let's take a couple pictures and move on. I want us to practice what it means for them to teach us something. So they're a little nervous about this. Quite frankly, I'm a little nervous about this. But I am asking them in just a moment, they're going to come forward and they have 10 bowls right here. And there's going to be, they're going to go out in pairs and they're going to be all around this congregation. And I'm going to invite you to stand up. It's going to be chaotic, but sixth grade is chaotic. And they're going to, you're going to stand up and you're going to, you're going to go to one of those stations. If you've been baptized, you can, you can put your hand in the water and remember your baptism. And then the other child, and this is the one who's actually nervous about this is going to look at you in the eyes and they are going to say to you, remember that you are loved by God. Because we all need to remember that, do we not? We need to remember before we can do anything for God that God has already done something for us. And we need our sixth graders and our fifth graders and our fourth graders and our three-year-olds to help remind us of that, to teach us that. Do we think that our sixth graders have something to teach us? 
They didn't, they didn't believe that, did they? No. Do you think that our sixth graders have something to teach us? Yes. Amen. So teach us. Don't be afraid. So let's stand up. Not all of you, just the sixth graders. Look at that. These guys are so obedient. Those of you who are going to get the water, go get the water. The rest of you go over to your station. They're so excited to do this. I hope you can see it. And then in just a moment, we are going to practice our faith with these inquirers. If you spill a little bit of water, I promise you it's okay. All right, sisters and brothers in Christ, as you feel led, please stand up. Go, remember your baptism, and remember that you are loved by God. Let's do so now.